welcome to Engineering Leadership Insights, the podcast where we share insights, practical advice, steps, perspectives, and knowledge to help engineering senior leaders become game changers. I'm your host, Jimmy Banjo. This episode, we're going to look at how to turn around an underperforming team, part two. In the previous podcast, I gave you three tips that I've used with various companies I've worked with to help them turn around an underperforming team. I've actually used this with my own teams as well, where I've had to take over a team that's not been doing so greatly. And um, yeah, it's, it's work. These things actually work. They work for my clients and they work for me. And I'm hoping that applying some of them in your engineering teams will help you you know, turn around a team that's not performing, or if you have a team that's doing really well, some of these will help you boost that performance to the next level. So don't necessarily take this as a negative, that it's a bad thing, that you're in a bad position and you want to turn a team around that's doing poorly. You actually may want to turn around a team or um, elevate a team that's doing really well to that next level, whatever it would be. So my tip for today, or the first tip of the day, would be you want to get an idea of the activities that everybody's working on. Is it really clear to them what they should be doing? Is there some overlap? confusion? Is there a potential for some um, consolidation of work? Is there some duplication or overlap? Could you give some tasks to one person that would free up someone else's? So to go through the exercise and see, is there a way you can optimize the work they're doing? So for some teams I've walked in on, um, where where they're actually struggling, one of the, a red flag, a very common red flag, is that people are saying they aren't confused. And a quick way to test this is for you to quickly just list out what are some of the key activities they should be doing in this team. And then get the various members of the team to ask to answer who does them. They can do it as a survey. What I find most often, and I'll say you know, eight out of ten times, is that there isn't a clarity around who should do what. Either everyone is doing everything, so a task like, you know, a monitoring this particular jumper, they're like nine people in the team all accountable for monitoring that jumper. Well, actually, that won't make sense because you have like 17 different jumpers. And why would everybody in the team be monitoring every single one and have accountability? That's confusion. And that's a sign that you could do more to make that clearer. On the flip side, you may have no one's accountable for it. And so actually, it could explain why that the maintenance of that particular piece of equipment keeps falling behind. Or everyone gives a different answer. And so even the person who the manager, you, feels accountable, they don't even believe they are. They believe someone else is, and someone else believes, you know, Tom's accountable, and Tom thinks Francis is accountable. So it's really a great way to test how well people understand their roles is by giving that survey. Understand you're not doing it to shout or yell or fail people who don't get it right. If your team do not understand what their roles are, then it's kind of your responsibility to to make it happen and to be a bit blunt and i don't want you to be defensive about it but you should see it as your fault as your problem not in a way that you should feel bad or ashamed and beat yourself up beat yourself up or take a stick and you know whip yourself with a cane or start to shout and yell at your team for not knowing what they should do or calling them incompetent but understand it's your it's your fault or your responsibility to correct that so you've got to do more if it's training or realignment or communication so that they really understand. And you know you just can't get tired of communicating the message. So 
do this assessment, this kind of assessment of who's responsible for what, list out the activities, you know, on an Excel spreadsheet and put people's names on them. Uh, again, you, sorry, you can list out all the activities, let's say on the, on the, on the X axis and the Y axis across the top list people's names and get people to just tick who's responsible for what activity or who's accountable for what and see how much overlap you get. And then paint the actual picture, tell them this is actually who should be doing what. And if you find that you may not have made it really as clear as you should have, who should be doing what, so then work with your team and agree who needs to be doing certain things. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have org charts in your organization and job descriptions. What I'm asking you to do is not to create new job descriptions or to create a new org chart. And if you're in a matrix organization, you probably have some fantastic three-dimensional org charts that I think even you know Picasso would find brilliant. And I, I know Picasso did not do three-dimensional diagrams, but his abstract drawings were as almost almost as intense as some org charts I've seen from some matrix organizations. You can't change your organization. I'm not asking you to do that if you are you know, a junior or middle manager or a senior manager. I mean, you'd have to be in a C-suite or the board to be able to, to, to effect a monumental change. But my point is, a lot of you have all the charts and job descriptions. Those are not going to be useful for you right now. So please, you have them fantastic, put them aside. Your team has specific things they're supposed to deliver. What are they? There's specific activities that should be done. What are they? List them all out. An org chart, for example, may not say that your reliability engineer is accountable for providing um, providing support for any root cause analysis done offshore for the alpha asset. It might, it may not. You may not want it to have that level of, of, of granularity because you may have hired a reliability engineer and wanted the freedom to move him across any asset. And that's, that makes sense. So that's why so job descriptions are not necessarily as granular as you need them to be. And I wouldn't encourage you to make them that granular. Otherwise you'll paint yourself into a corner. But when they come into a team, the team workload is a lot more fluid. So I would suggest that you list out what it is your team should be doing and who your team needs to do what. And then, and then as, uh, make sure you assign and map that work. Now you may find after you've done that exercise that you will need to go back to your job descriptions and make some changes. Sometimes you do. I find it's like a 50-50. Half of the time my clients don't need to change the job descriptions, that they're able to work the granular detail in this new kind of racial racic and it works. Otherwise, uh, but sometimes I do go back and make some adjustments. Not, but I've never had a client make a monumental adjustment to the job descriptions based on this. This is really about ensuring this clarity in the team about who should be doing what. This just goes a long way to improving performance because it allows you then as a leader to focus on, you know, it's a problem area, it's a person managing that area. And you can work with that person to turn that area around versus working with everybody and getting, you know, a million different ideas that could all be great, but who's going to execute them? Who's going to do them? And you may not have the right buy-in. If you would like a template on how to do this, I do have some templates I can make available. Just send me an email at hello 
at folajimmy.com. I'll put the email in the notes. And you can, um, I'll send you a copy of a template you could use if you want to. But if not, I mean, if you kind of figure out, you've already figured out how you want to build your spreadsheet, knock yourself out, but do let me know how you get on. The second tip for this um, podcast on a ways to turn around an underperforming team is to speak to your customers. A lot of you guys are going to have internal and external customers, a combination of both. And I would encourage you to, to have conversations with them about what their expectations are. In the previous podcast, I spoke about, you know, defining what success is, you know, where the finish line is. And that's important. And you should talk to your customers about that. But you also need to talk to your customers about what their, you know, what their challenges, what challenges they're having working with you, what they should have expected from now, from to see from you, why they're frustrated. If they are frustrated, they may be very happy with the level of service you're getting. You know, they may, they'll often provide very good insights into specific areas you're getting it wrong because they're paying the price. They're seeing your team members coming to planning meetings unprepared. And if they're coming to a planning meeting unprepared, they're getting kicked off the asset plan, which means it's going to delay your project. They're seeing people coming out to um, the, the oil rig or the asset without the right equipment, without the right safety certifications and having to be sent back. So they're the ones dealing with that. So speak to your clients and get an insight from them about what the actual issues are. Try not to be defensive. They may be unhappy. They may be upset with you. And you'll find that talking to them goes a long way to abating their frustration. And not just talking, but listening, hearing what they're saying, letting them know that you're listening. They may not be correct in your opinion. They may be 100% wrong. But it's really powerful to understand their perspective because that allows you then to better position, well, position yourself, your communication, better manage their expectations if they are wrong, and also better um, better adjust your improvement efforts if they're right or if there is some truth to what they're saying. So do listen to, do take the time out and turn around your team to visit your clients, your customers. And I also mean your internal customers. Now, there are some people out there who don't like to think of internal customers as customers. I am a maintenance manager. I work for this company. My operations manager is my peer, is my critical partner, not a customer. I'm not here to serve him. Well, the truth is you are. He is your customer. There's no nice way of saying it. And it may be uncomfortable because that may mean that person has power over you. But the reality is that's, that's an issue on trust. And we'll talk in the, another, we'll have another podcast where I talk about trust issues. But that person is your customer. Customer is not a dirty word. And you'll find that you'll have a much better relationship if you approach them like a customer and afford them that level of courtesy. And here, here's why. The mistakes that you make upstream, the mistakes you make, let's say, in maintenance, affect the production manager's ability to produce. And that affects his performance and affects his team in a much larger way. It will affect more people in his team than it does your team. You may not realize that. Yes, he's, she's upset that your backlog is growing and your team is doing the best they could do, but your backlog means to them broken equipment. And so when their customers are not getting the 
you know, the baby food they want on time, or they're not getting the, you know, the chemicals they need on time. They're now really pissed with the production manager and all hell is raining on him. And as angry as he is with you, and I'm not saying he should be losing his temper and acting and blinding, multiply that as a factor of 10, because that's as much crap they're going to have to take down this downstream from the issues you created. Now, add to the fact that they have other suppliers too. So they have an engineering manager, perhaps, or procurement team that also should be helping the production team. So their, how the other teams have dropped the ball magnify the problems that your customer's having. So your little problem actually has been mixed in with 10 other problems that the customer now has to deal with, your internal customer. So if you, under, if you can appreciate that, and I'm, I'm sure you do, that they are going to be under a lot more pressure than you are because they're further along the value chain. That's just the nature of things. So if you come to them with a view, they're my customer, we're gonna do everything we can to ensure they don't, they have no reason to be upset with us. You'll probably get a much, you'll get more time with them. I think they'll be much more keen to listen to you and talk to you, even if they're peers, and to be open about the problems they, how they're contributing to the problem as well. Because I know customers do contribute to the problem. They are sometimes their own worst enemy, but they're also people and you've got to make them want to open up. Okay, so talk to your customer, like I said, at the same time, talk to your suppliers. So as the customer now, you need to also talk to the people who are supplying you. And everything I said through about the production manager sits, sits true with human resources who supply you workers because they place the job ads, your IT departments, Whoever supplies you a service is a, in your company is a supplier. Find out from them, are there things that your team aren't doing correctly? Are there things that your team could be doing that you know, they're dropping the ball, that you're sabotaging yourself, that, that are causing problems that you're facing that makes it hard for your suppliers to give you top level service? And, and work out with the suppliers, are there ways you can make things better with them? You know, and um, you know, be as constructive as you can and don't take it personal if they're defensive. But if, if you can make it constructive and you can get away from blaming, but rather we're trying to improve our performance, you'll get a better, I think you'll get a better response from them on what you need to turn, it, turn your situation around. I think finally, I would suggest that you look at what systems and processes you have missing in the way you're working. So you've, you've spoken to suppliers, you've spoken to customers, you have a view of the different activities your team should be doing. You should be able to see now kind of what isn't working, what is suppliers saying is failing. If we're going to the planning meetings and we're not properly prepared, properly equipped, then that's a process you can fix and turn around. Okay, can we have a, a focus group of the team? Do I want to just get my planning, my planning engineer to make some quick, some tweaks to changes? But let's implement the changes. But on some key systems or processes that we think are just aren't working. You may find the process your team are following that just is completely useless. And if you have the ability, you can just say, guys, we're gonna stop doing that. And we just, you know what, rather than filling out 10 forms and you know having five meetings, just send an email to John Procurement. That's the new step. And you can actually remove a bunch of unnecessary work having spoken to suppliers and your customers. And because you spoke to them, the procurement team said, absolutely, you're right, um, Neil. We don't need 10 um, forms filled and all this stuff. We just need an email sent to 
joint procurement or one particular button clicked in SAP. So have those conversations. So, you, so because you have those conversations, you're better informed as to how flexible you can be in implementing some solutions and quick wins. So really think through now you've had those conversations, what you want to, what processes you need to bring into place. I had one team and it's, it's really silly. They had, it's silly in the sense that's a really simple solution. It's that that's kind of, that's silly, not that the issue is silly. It was a major issue. They had a, an, they had some um, expatriate members of their team who came in and worked on a rotation. So four weeks and they left. And then another person came in and worked four weeks. And they, they worked it back to back. One of the challenges they had was that it wasn't really clear who was working on what. And so when one of the back to backs left, the guy that replaced him was working on, was picking up different things, but they were getting into trouble with health and safety issues and some integrity issues with the, with the asset because of activities that were being handled by the guy that was currently off. And it came down to the fact that they didn't have a very good handover system or process. And so it was a quick win. They just had to agree a what what they were going, what the handover would look like, and have that agreed with their manager. It took a while to get those two people, well, three, including the manager, to agree what the handover should be. They didn't need a fantastic, you know, SAP system with, you know, I don't know, meet, minutes of meetings and action trackers. I'm just trying to mix it up. What they needed was to agree what exactly, how they did the handover, when it would happen, what is what documents needed to be reviewed and such. They finally got around doing it and the handover takes them, takes them about two hours every month. But when they finally began to do that, all the issues that were, that were coming up began to, actually began to, well, half of them disappeared. The other half, they were now people who were aware and they weren't taken by surprise with, with, with performance issues or integrity issues or safety issues. They were able to proactively deal with those issues because everybody knew what they said. It also made the manager aware that there were tasks that he was giving one person that he had told the other person not to do. And since they're working back to back, they had to have the same job. So it meant the manager had to really rethink how he saw those roles. And he needed to either take some work away from both of those guys and give it to somebody else, which is what he actually did in the end. And there were just some tasks. He just he realized that while one guy was great at doing them, because they were back to back, it just wouldn't work to have one guy doing special projects. So those are my tips um, on ways to improve uh, to, and turn around an underperforming team or even take your currently performing team to the next level. If you want to get a view of, of what everyone's working on, see if there's a way to uh, to, to, to avoid duplication or to any opportunities to optimize that. You want to speak to your customers and your suppliers. Find out is there a better way that you can serve your customers and a better way your suppliers can serve you. And you also want to look out for processes and systems and ways of working that you can optimize very quickly. Or again, redundant processes that you can eliminate. Okay, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions about ways you can turn around your underperforming team, please send me an email at hello at bullajimmy.com. If you have any specific questions or if you want some um, uh, advice from me on how you can turn around a situation in your team that maybe I haven't covered here, something really specific to what you're going through, please do send me an email. We can set up a 
a 15 minute call, or if you're really that committed, we can do a one hour consultation about how we can help you, you know, put in, put in some of these or some more practical tools in your team right now to start helping your team improving. Okay. Thank you for listening. And please do leave any comments about this podcast in the review section. I do like my reviews. They, they're helpful for me to know how I can better help you. And if there's anything you want me to talk about that you're facing or any questions about leadership in, in, in the engineering space, please do leave that in the comment section as well or send me an email. Again, it's hello at forlegend.com. Until next time, take care.